is the Athletic Football Show. the athletic football show i'm robert mays and joining me today for our first episode is my good friend nate tice nate how are you buddy i'm doing great how about yourself robert i am doing so well i cannot believe they let us do this together i I know they just took our phone (laughs) conversations and they were airing them (laughs) Uh, yeah i I don't know who you convinced to do this but all right here we go nate has been my friend for a long time he's worked as both an assistant coach and an assistant in the personnel department for multiple nfl teams we are so excited to, to get this going. I mean, this is something that's been in the works, and, and I could not be more just thrilled about doing this with you. I, I learn about football from him constantly, and I cannot wait to bring that to everybody listening. We're going to be coming to you every single Monday, and as we get started with our preview series, we figured what better note on which to start than the exact show you guys are going to be getting every Monday. No, that's what I'm excited about, and what, what better division to start with than the one that I've been associated with two teams and one of them is your favorite team. I've lived in another state that is associated with a team. So, I mean, this is like you, 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 you eased me into this. So you, you, you laid it up for me, even though I, I think I'm just going to piss off some fan base, one or two. of them. We're going to be going through this division by division. Each day is going to have a different co-host. We're starting with the NFC North, which is home to my Chicago Bears. But before we get to that, I want to address something off the top here. It's a historic moment in the sports world. You think about the NBA teams that walked out earlier this week during the playoffs. Think about what's happened with the Chargers, the Vikings, the Ravens in the statement they put out, the Lions earlier this week refusing to practice. The conversation that's happening around racial injustices, police brutality, everything kind of involved in this is a necessary and important one. And it's one that's going to be continuing throughout the year. And it's one that we are not going to shy away from on this show. But considering the time constraints, considering we only have two weeks before the season, the show's launching on August 31st, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks really focusing on the NFL, all the information we feel like you guys need to know before the season kicks off. But as we get into the year, this is absolutely going to be something that's ongoing and something we're going to address often and as much as we feel like we need to. But for right now, we're going to start with the NFC North, and that's where we're at. Here we go. All right. We cannot start with the Bears because that's just wait because it's way too depressing. I, I'm not going to have that be the note on which I start a new show is for me to just be sad about the Bears for like 15 minutes. It's I don't think anyone wants to order, though. <laughs> I was going to say no one wants to hear that, but that might be wrong. I think a lot of people would want to hear that just because they would want to feel my pain and really kind of bathe in it. We're not going to do that, though. We're going to start with the Detroit Lions, which is a team that kind of has stolen some hearts over the course of this offseason. It's been a fascinating process to watch the overall dialogue about the Detroit Lions over the last few weeks on NFL Twitter as more and more numbers forward people have kind of picked up on the Lions here. And I just don't know how to feel about it. I, there's, I tweeted this yesterday. There are a lot of conflicting emotions in terms of how I'm engaging with the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like a, during the draft season, all of a sudden there's some guy that like was projected like a third or fourth rounder, and all of a sudden he's getting first round pub, and you're just like, oh, okay, maybe I maybe should go back and look at that, look at that guy. Okay, maybe that's something I'm missing <laughs> on him. And I think that's kind of going on with me and the Lions right now. Like, I get it, but I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way to describe it. So here's where this happens, and I think this is the main cru- this is the crux of the conversation around the Lions. 
I think it's an eternal struggle here between all of the signs pointing out that the Lions are going to be much better and much luckier than they were a season ago. And it's just a complete lack of faith in Matt Patricia. It's it's just a battle in my mind that's just being waged constantly right now as I try to gauge how good the Lions are going to be. And I, I want to start with the first part. And, and if we just kind of go through the normal stats, numbers, signposts for why teams either regress or get better. The Lions, there are so many signs. This was a team that was terrible in close games last season. There were three, eight, and one in one score games last year, which you know, one score games that tends to normalize over time. And this is a team that probably should have won six games rather than three like they did. They were 24th in adjusted games lost, you know, near the bottom of the league in terms of injuries. Obviously, the most important injury you can sustain to their quarterback. And their fumble luck was also pretty bad. So all of these signs pointed to the fact that they're going to be a lot better. And if you're trying to build a case for the Detroit Lions in a very muddled NFC North, a, a division that anyone could win, and I actually don't know who I'm going to pick to win it. That's how undecided I am. I want to talk through all this before I do it. If you're building the case for the Lions, I think it starts with the offense and the passing offense. Coming into last year, they hired Daryl Bevel. I wasn't sure how to feel about it. I wasn't. I thought it was kind of an uninspired choice. I was like, what's this really going to mean for this team? And then the Lions come out and look incredible offensively yes. while Matthew Stafford was healthy. What, what really jumped out to you as you're thinking about this team and went back and watched them last year? What elements of this offense do you think were most notable during that stretch? I mean... The, I mean, the receiver core really stood out. I mean, I know I, I liked a lot of their guys anyways, but how they paired and matched with Stafford's play style, because he's going to let guys go make plays and throw it out. He's going to try and throw it to a spot that only his guy can get it. But the problem is sometimes you don't have a receiver that can go and get it. They have some guys that have big catching ranges, but really with their scheme stuff, it's they ran a little bit of everything. They had play action. They had fun. I was The game I really liked watching was the Chargers game. And you can just see how they adjusted off of just typical looks. Like I, I posted today on Twitter that it was a little play action. And it, it was a cover three beater, but then they they ran a whip route with it, like a deep whip route. And I just was like, those are just fun little tweaks. And then they ran, you know, little out patterns over and over. And it, it was fun. It's just a nice mixture of stuff. They even ran a zone read with Stafford, which just blew my mind. And then, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, you see on the side on Game Pass, you'll see Stafford five yard rush. And I'm like, oh, okay, so it's a scramble. And I thought I missed the play because all of a sudden I just saw a guy running and all of a sudden I realized, oh, that's Stafford running. It wasn't like a botched snap or anything. It was a true zone read that Melvin Ingram sprinted in. So it it was a fun mix of stuff. And it's kind of funny that it really isn't too dissimilar to what they're doing in Seattle, what Bevel was doing in Seattle. I mean, yep. yeah, there are some tweaks, of course, but it's like, I mean, there was a lot of consistent stuff from what he did from Seattle. It's just now you see it with a different personnel grouping. And I mean, seeing with those receivers and a quarterback like Stafford, Russell is Russell, but it's a totally different type of player. And it's fun. I mean, it was a lot of fun watching that offense. Like I, I've been meaning to go back and watch it. And now I had a, an excuse to go do it. And it was fun. I was enjoying watching the Lions offense for the first few weeks. I think that's the takeaway is that they were exciting. And yeah. the biggest change for me was just the level of aggressiveness. And it's one of those things where you think about Stafford, he has this huge arm and all the arm talent and the angles, but for most of his career, and especially in recent years, this is a team that really dinked and dunked. It was all underneath, you know, he was near the bottom of the league in air yards per throw under Jim Bomb Cooter. And then Bevel comes in and you really see how much of an impact 
a more downfield oriented passing game can have and how much it can change an entire offense. I mean, Stafford's doing similar stuff with that arm angle and with the throws he's getting off. But instead of traveling seven yards, they're traveling 18 yards. Yes. There was a throw he made against the Giants where Galladay was coming over the middle. And it was that same little Stafford wrist flick. But it was an 18-yard throw instead of just an underneath little dump off. So yep. he has the same elements that we've seen in the past. But when you have routes that are just consistently deeper, you're almost implanting this aggressiveness within the offense. Even on like third down, it's third and four. And rather than him just hitting a little six-yard route or a check down, he's going for corner routes that are 20 yards down the field, just going off what you're saying. And that that all adds up. It's rather than just getting the first down one-yard pass, they're getting 12 extra yards. They're cheating on another first down. And I mean, that that's how an efficient offense works is rather than just getting if it's third and two, just getting two, it's third and two and you're getting 14. I mean, those add up over games and over seasons. When you think about just how efficient they were while Stafford was healthy last year, they were second in passing DV, EPA, excuse me, on early downs, which is from our own Shio Kapati at The Athletic. And I'm curious what you think about how they're going to be able to translate that to this season. Because if you look at some of the efficiency numbers, I think it's going to be even beyond the efficiency, just overall Stafford's numbers last year, 11.1 air yards per attempt. He was fifth in the league after Tannehill, Breeze, Cousins, and Russell Wilson in completion percentage over expectation. I mean, these are huge numbers. And it feels, and you can even translate that to the receivers a little bit. Marvin Jones was number three in the league in contested catch percentage in the NFL. Kenny Galladay was fourth. Two, both of them had at least 34% of their targets on contested catch situations. That was, I mean, you compare that to Michael Thomas, that was 18%. So these are just Stafford's letting it rip into traffic and trusting these guys, and it worked. So I'm curious how much of what they were doing last season do you think is translatable into this year, or do you think they're going to come back to earth in a big way? I think they're going to keep it going. Um, I, I I think they go as far as their line takes them. And I mean, that's like such a cop-out answer that everyone always wants to say. It's, oh, it's all about the line, but it really is. Um, I did notice that, you know, they kind of took a little bit off of Stafford's plate, it looked like, and they tried to put it on the center. And I don't know how beneficial that was with Ragnow. Uh, uh, I think I'm saying his name right. He's a Minnesota boy. I should know this. But yeah, but <laughs> but with the, but it's, I, I think they signed Big V have to see how the line just progresses and if they can just keep going if they can adjust because that first four weeks five weeks six weeks teams can blitz other i mean no pun intended it's offensive blitz um other teams that aren't expecting it and then you have to adjust after that four or five six weeks when teams have bye weeks teams have more film on what you're doing so i'm really i just i'm not really giving you a straight answer on it but it's i do think it is sustainable i i think it's by design those contested catches because that's what those receivers are good at. It's not receivers that are yak guys that are catching uh, slants and splitting the seam. They're catching these contested out routes and these um, these throws in traffic because it is by design. So I do think it is it's sustainable. So the line point is a good one. And if you look at the line, that's where a majority of the turnover was this offseason. They lose Graham Glasgow. It goes to Denver. And they replace him with a rookie. Jonah Jackson is going to be probably be the right guard. He's penciled in there right now. Joe Dahl's on the left side. And that's a concern. You know, those are two big question marks, I think. And here's my thing with Vitae. It's, it's not the player that I'm worried about. And I think this is a larger conversation. And if we're talking about what's going to hold them back, this is my number one thing. When you go out and you sign a right tackle that's mostly a run blocker to a big contract, when you spend a second round pick on a running back, what does that say to you? <laughs> says we might be pounding that rock a little bit. And, and then that's the issue. 
And yep. you mentioned Seattle earlier, and I think it's a great point. This reminds me a lot of what's go- what goes on in Seattle every single year, where you have a quarterback that's just disgustingly efficient, and you take the ball out of his hands way too often in neutral situations. So the Lions last season in neutral spots were fifth in rushing percentage on early downs. That, if they continue that, that, to that's do what that, it looked like too. Yeah. It, it, it's it, there are so many times where you're sitting in second and eight or third and nine, and you're asking Stafford to do a lot, and he managed to do that last year. I think this could be a situation where we're watching their passing game, we're seeing these dynamic plays, it's really exciting, and they continue to just run the ball into big boxes and not just work to their own advantage. And that to me would be the number one thing that could hold this offense back beyond just the offensive line questions. It's the approach. It's the mindset. It's the philosophy that we're not going to do the most efficient thing because we're this run first physical defensive head coach team. And that doesn't work out all the time. Unless you have Russell Wilson kind of saving you from those moments and doing that Houdini stuff. I think that's one of the things that could hold Detroit back. Yeah. And and that's goes back to what was square one. Oh yeah. I can see the, I can see the silver lining with the lines, but Matt Patricia, so, I mean, we got, yes. and you know, you know what he's trying to build. I mean, it's like you just said, he's trying to build his little Patriots defense. They got a couple of nice corners and stuff now, but it's, you know, but I, I you know, those meetings, every offensive meeting is going to go back into, all right, what can we run? How are we, how are we taking them in the run game this week? How are we? Oh, so, okay. Oh, okay. So, okay. So what is it? Third and three? We're, what? You want to pass the ball in third and three? Like every thing is going to go back to running the ball because that's what he in his mindset, it thinks is the right way to play football. It's just that defensive coach mindset that some guys just can't let go of. And maybe he can. Maybe this year he does let it go and they let it rip and they're chucking it 40 times. But it's one of those things. It's just going to be so hard to teach him to just, hey, sometimes passing, you know, the, the whole line, there's when you pass the ball, only three things can happen. Two of them are bad. It's like, hey, sometimes, <laughs> yeah, sometimes those two bad things can happen, but that one good thing can be really, really good. So just trust what a it. Backwards ass way to think about football. Right? That, that that idiom should just be like shot into the sun. All right, and I want to get to decades like that, like decades I, that people would say that. I want I want to get to the defense in a minute, but I, I first of all I want to ask you about T.J. Hawkinson because I think that's the other the big name guy in this offense we haven't really mentioned. When I watched them last year. There were a lot of Austin Hooper-ish kind of shades to the way they used him, where it was easy completions after the catch, not asking him to do a lot for somebody who was picked in the top 10. I think they need a lot more from him this year based on where they picked him in the draft. I completely agree. I, I Watching it back, it was like maybe picked the wrong Iowa tight end. And, and looking at it, I, I thought he would come in and just be this true why and day one, and he came from an Iowa offense that translates to the NFL a lot easier than other offenses do. And tight end's a hard-ass position to pick up. I mean, it is. I mean, it's up there with the hardest position to pick up as a rookie, and especially in the NFL. And going off of that, I actually thought just Hawkinson, I thought he'd just be a little more physical than what I saw. I was kind of actually a little disappointed. They were having run these ISOs and trap blocks, and he was fine. I'm not calling him soft or anything. I just thought there'd just be more. And like I thought that's a great point you're bringing up about the Hooper stuff because that's exactly how they're using him in the past game. It's those check downs that he catches and he falls forward for two yards. You know, it's a, it's a lot of catch it for five yards and it's a seven-yard gain. It's not stuff where he's catching it on the move or they're designing things for him. And it might just be early season stuff when Stafford and him are both healthy and he might be battling injuries. You never know. But I was a little stunned. I was a little taken aback. I thought that he would just stand out a little more, especially for, like you said, a top 10 pick tight end because 
when you're picking a tight end in the top 10, you that guy better look the part. <laughs> Our Lions beat writer, Chris Burke, uh, mentioned earlier this week that apparently uh, Hawkinson has gained a lot of weight. You know, he's put on some muscle. He looks better in camp. He's one of the standouts. So I absolutely think Good. he can be better. I, I just yes. was not impressed with him. I think he was kind of somebody who hid within that offense last year. Way. All right. Let's talk about Matt Patricia and that defense because here's the thing. And, and this is this has been true for a while. You know, Football Outsiders has been writing about this for years and years and years. The idea that you want to build on offense because that's how you're consistently good. Every once in a while, your defense can take a jump. Lions were 28th in defensive DVOA last year. They were objectively bad. It's kind of one of those, if you have a defensive-minded head coach and then you fire the defensive coordinator, it's like, Matt Patricia, what exactly do you do here? It, it, that's kind of how I'm <laughs> feeling about this. But if we want to talk about the offense, if we think they're going to be good, let's hypothetically, let's say they're a top eight offense in efficiency, passing efficiency. And that, I think that's possible. Yeah, I do too. If that happens, then your defense needs to be in the top two thirds of the league, like a yeah. top 18 defense, let's say. I think that's possible just by randomness alone. But I also don't have that much faith in either the personnel and Matt Patricia to make that happen. So the guys that they brought in, do you have any reason to think by virtue solely of the talent that they added this offseason that they can take a huge jump on defense? Not really, because anytime Yeah, because anytime you get the Patriots guys out of New, out of Foxborough, it's it's like you're you know, you're rolling I mean, you're rolling the dice with any free agent, but I mean, especially so with that, especially if you're like, oh, as soon as I, he knows the system, that is like cancer to my ears he knows the system is like the word i hate that phrase like oh he's comfortable with her going what they're doing the only thing i only signings i did like i did love the draft pick uh, uh with jeff Kuda, and i love desmond trufant i actually thought that wasn't a bad buy cheap option you might get a starting corner out uh, for 10 million i thought those were the best signings other than that i'm not really thrilled with wh what else they got i think that Harmon is a perfect example of how this can go wrong because he's somebody that never played more than 66% of the snaps in New England. I think that was another stat that Shield had in his nerd breakdown about the Lions. He's going to be asked to be a full-time player here. He is their strong safety. So he's there with Tracy Walker in the back end, who's actually a pretty good player. You know, Will Harris is getting some reps in camp, is my understanding. I think that they're going to play, you know, a lot of creative coverages back there. Not creative coverages, but a lot of creative personnel packages. It's not going to be a lot of creative coverages. They play man coverage more than anyone else. It. It, it's kind of crazy that, and that's kind of, that's the root of my skepticism about this is that, yeah, you have this kind of New England based system, but the Patriots have always done. They've taken their players. They figured out what they do well, and they've accentuated it. It just seemed like last year the Lions were going to run what they were going to run, and it didn't really matter if they didn't have the players to do it. And you have corners traveling with receivers more than any other team in the league. You have more man coverage than any other team in the league, less blitzing than any other team in the league, even though you don't have the guys up front to make it work. And I just don't see why it's going to be that much different this year. You swap out Jeff Okuda for Darius Slay. I think Jeff Okuda is going to be great. He was a clear-cut number one cornerback prospect, one of the best corner prospects in years. But how many guys at that position, especially when they're asked to play man coverage all the time, just hit the ground running in the NFL? Who was the last man. person to do that? Patrick Peterson? Peterson, Lat Marshawn Lattimore, but the, his wasn't true man all the time. That's so, what I'm saying. Yeah. The last guy yeah. that was like, I'm a lockdown corner. That's how you're going to use me day yeah. one, I think, was Patrick Peterson. And I, I just, you're right. it's so rare that I'm just not sure why this Lions defense is going to be that much better than it was last year, other than bad defenses tend to get better every once in a while. 
Every once in a while. Well, that's I mean, it's <laughs> not even, the random not even all the time. <laughs> you you have to do, sometimes you have to just rely on the randomness of defense. Yeah. I I was burned a couple years ago. I was doing a podcast with Kevin Clark over at the Ringer. We were talking about all the teams that could win the Super Bowl, and I did not say that the Saints could because I thought their defense would just be too terrible. And a lot of people who questioned the Chiefs a couple years ago in the during the 2018 season when Mahomes took over, one of the reasons was that their defense is just terrible. I think you can have that dead cat bounce on defense and be okay. And that's why yeah. I don't like writing teams off because of defense if I think their offense is going to be good. But I just don't think that there are clear is a clear path for the Lions to be much better on defense. I think if they're going to be, it's just by chance. Yeah. And honestly, too, is you're also betting on just how the Chiefs did last year where they got a little healthier and they picked up some guy off the street, you know, picked up the big tackle. And all of a sudden, they kind of rallied those last six weeks, give or take, eight weeks, and they kind of revamped their whole defense after the bye week. But you can't always bet on that. You got to bet that's Spags. You know, that was the coaching, and that was realizing what they had with the, the personnel they had and guys getting healthy. And so you can go on runs. Like, I'm, I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth, but you can go on runs with the defense or offense where it just clicks for six weeks before you get figured out, you know? But it's just that's a lot of betting <laughs> that's a lot of bets that you're hoping that this would all all these stars are going to align for it to work out and i i, I mean it's still just going to be hedging against it i mean you could see it happening right let's say they yeah. use jamie collins in the right way he looks more like the player he was in new england last year than the guy he was in cleveland julian aquara gives them a little bit of juice as a pass rusher deshaun hand comes back plays well danny shelton fits the system uh, you, you could argue that there is a path to them getting better but i don't think it's a given by any stretch i also think if they're not going to use collins as a blitzer if they're not going to force the issue pressure wise it's still going to be an issue because yep. i don't think julian aquara as a third round pick is necessarily going to give you that much more i mean this is the team that had the worst pass rush in the nfl last year and refused to blitz they saw fewer quick passes than any other team in football last year that's putting so much pressure on your secondary. And I just don't think the secondary is enough of a given to say that's the approach you should take. Yeah. And and how much they drop eight in the coverage and the, what, what the whole Patriots They rush three defense. more than any other team in yep. the league. And it's almost the like they don't want to yeah. pressure the quarterback. No, they don't. They don't because the, and his mindset, it, it, the, it worked in New England because what they would do is the coverages were so wicked that all of a sudden the pocket just got pushed on the quarterback. But you need the dudes to push the pocket on the quarterback. <laughs> you still need a pass rush. It doesn't have to be the Ben D. Von Miller type, but you still need to create pressure. And that's, <laughs> I think that's the big component that they're missing. It's like, well, this worked in New England. It's like, yeah, but you still had dudes. You still had the Kyle Van Noys of the world pushing the right tackle three yards back on the snap. You know, you Here's still the had that. Here's the difference. In New England, Trey Flowers is making what a third round pick makes. Yes. Now he's getting paid like a true dominant pass rusher. Yes. You can't have it both ways. You can't try to create this New England model and then not do it in the same way that New England yes. did because if you're spending more and you're only doing it in this zombie fashion, you're not going to get the same results. There's just no way. And that's why I just have such little faith in Patricia and how this is going to go because I just don't think that he's malleable enough to get the most out of his players even if they spent more on better ones. And I agree. <laughs> All right. Do you want to do this? Are we ready to do this? We're going to the Chi Town Bears. Uh, are you, are you bearing right. down? Okay. Let's get to the Bears. Okay. Here's my. <laughs> I don't know where to start because there's start no the place formation. that I want to start. I was talking to Kevin Fishbane, the athletic Bears writer today, one of the athletic Bears writers today. 
and we were talking about some of the position battles and everything else and some of the things I should know before we did this show. And he's like, oh, yeah, there's a quarterback competition, too. And I was like, yeah, I have no interest in that. That's, that's not something I, I ever want to talk about or think about. So Hear no evil. There, there's no – there's no. we don't have to kind of re-legislate this whole thing. But Nick Foles comes over. They trade a fourth-round pick for him. It's a complete overpay when you consider what was happening with the rest of the quarterback market. They could have had Cam Newton for nothing or Andy Dalton for nothing or Jameis Winston for nothing. It, none of that matters now. Nope. I understand why it happened – you know, you can argue that he knows the system, everything else. Oh, God. <laughs> there it is it, again. It, it, but that's, I trust me, I don't think it's a good reason, but I can understand how they got there. So, exactly. Yeah. It is, a, a, should I be worried at this point in camp, it, we're recording this in late August, it's still not September yet. Should I be worried that Dick Foles is apparently not clearly gained an advantage in this quarterback competition yet? Yes. Or do you think it is a given that he's the starter? I think it, it's it's worrisome. I, I feel like at this point somebody should be standing out for better or for worse. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be some bar you got to pass. I mean, it's either got to be Trubisky's made a huge leap or Foles is the guy. So it, and it doesn't one. seem like either of those is true. Which worries pick me. One. <laughs> it, but it, what, what's so frustrating too with that? I think so much is like watching Trubisky, and I, I broke him down a few months ago, and then rewatching him again this week. Is how much of his stuff seems to be not i wouldn't say fixable but he could really help himself just with some small things like anytime no he has i'm not to hitch, i'm not doing this yes we're I'm doing, not it. doing this we're again. doing it i'm not doing I'm this telling again. You, it's so close he can do it like no i'm not ever say, i'm never gonna say he's gonna be anything above average but it's like man i get why some people got teased by him and then now but then as he just unfolds i think that the offense they run what they try to run is just too much he just doesn't have the starts and he doesn't have the spatial awareness that a guy even like an Alex Smith type had in Kansas City to run an offense like that. There's just too much on his mental on, on his shoulders and on his mental shoulders. I think it's just they, they put too much on him and he's not a quarterback that's equipped to handle that. And I don't know if Foles is going to be either. So let's let's talk about this. Let's just play out the string a little bit here. Let's just for argument's sake, play out the hypothetical that Foles wins the starting job and he is something between the Nick Foles we saw in the 2017 playoffs and the Nick Foles we saw every other time of his career. <laughs> He's somewhere in the middle. He is a fine quarterback. Do you think their issues were so quarterback-centric that getting forgettable, just baseline quarterback play is enough to make this an average offense? No. I, you know, watching them back, I was God, really... Depressing. I know. I'm sorry. But really, you know, I was kind I of kind astounded. I kind of agree with you, though. Yeah. The lack of juice on the field it was astounding. Yeah. Like, there is nobody to take. I mean, Alan Robinson, I love. He's unbelievable. He's a ridiculously good player. But, I mean, they, they, they tried to find ways to give Tariq Cohen the ball. And actually, after a while, I'm just like, why? Because he's not yeah. he's not running past people. You know, he's they're blocking it okay. And he's just getting four yards. It's like you just can't keep getting four-yard gains if you're supposed to be this scat back you know, explosive play guy. So I think they're just wasting touches on guys that don't deserve the touches. Or, I mean, I, Tariq Cohen's a fine player, but he's like a number four option in offense, not a number two option that they use him as. And I just, they just have no juice on the field anywhere. It's just, there's nobody that's going to take something and go with it. Even the, you know, they got the plotting running back along with Cohen. And, and then the plotting you know, expensive tight end. And the plotting expensive tight end who can't block. So it's not a fun mismatch of personnel. And it's a weird, I don't know if they're trying to be tough, if they're trying to be fast, if they're trying to be creative. They, it just seems like they throw shit against the wall and just hope it sticks. And 
it, 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 when you have a quarterback that's not going to bail you out every time, sometimes you get what you get, like you did the offense last year. The, I think that and it's a great point. And here's my issue with them, and this is the thing that concerns me the most. You can see this with franchises that get desperate. They just start scrambling. You just start trying to see what works and try to find answers that aren't there, and you're chasing versions of yourself that are never going to exist. What is the Bears' offense? What does it want to be? It wants to be whatever the Chiefs ran the previous week. <laughs> and, but and it's, there is no cohesion to what they nope. want to be. There is no nope. plan. And that you can extend that from personnel to schematics to whatever. Yep. It, think about it manifests in small ways and specific ways as well as big ways. I think what happened with Whitehair and Daniels last year and just the complete screw-ups on the offensive line were part yep. of this. So I think this is a perfect example. So when Foles was really good in 2017, when he was just on fire, what percentage of his dropbacks do you think the Eagles use play action? Oh, my goodness. Half? No, probably like 40%. I, I, I'd say way up. 34.4%, which was which the number one ridiculous. rate in the league. Yeah. It was highest rate in the league that year. Last year, Trubisky was at 19.9. Okay. So if, if we're thinking we're just going to plug Foles into this similar system and he's going to be just as good, it's not true. There, there is no plan. There is no identity. There is no version of this offense that helps out its quarterback enough to prop him up because they don't know what it is. And I think that extends to what they did with the coaching staff this year. When you see a team with an offensive-minded head coach completely overhaul its offensive staff, that's how you know that they're trying to keep their heads above water and they're scrambling. So it, it, you've been in NFL buildings. You've worked for NFL teams. When you have a team bring in a new offensive coordinator and a new quarterback coach and a new offensive line coach with the old head coach, what do you think that looks like as they try to create a scheme? Do you think there's just way too many cooks in the kitchen? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially if the head coach is a quarterback guy. So now you have really now you have three guys in his ear, not even not even including an assistant quarterback coach, a backup quarterback. Uh, so you got three legit coaches and they have to decipher if they're all on the same page, that's phenomenal. Or if, if they say, Hey, D Filippo, you flip, you handle it. And like, whatever you say goes like you have final say I'll, I'll include, but they have, to, they haven't done enough where I trust that they know how to do that to decipher and bracket everybody's duties. And that's what's kind of scary. Cause then it's and especially a guy that seems like a head case with Mitch Trubisky, who's just trying to find the right answer. That's what it looks like. He's just trying to do the right thing. And he doesn't know if it's the right thing always. So now also now you're getting two new voices in his ear along with the guy that's been his guy for now they're going into year three. That's scary. You know, that that's, that's, that's a little scary. And I, I get what they're trying to do. I get it. They're trying to bring the band back together, but it's just, it's like you said, it's just, they don't have their identity. They don't even know what they want to do. Are they going to try and be the Eagles flavor? Are they going to be the Chiefs flavor? Are they going to actually do their own thing, which they should do? You can't copy what you did at previous places every place you go. You have to adapt to what you got. And that's we won't know until we see the first couple of weeks and see what they do because I'm scared that's just going to be more of the same. All right. Do you want me to put my Bears fan hat on for a second? Do it. And, and, and try to spin this in a positive way? Do it. I think there is a version of this offense that's okay, which it's hilarious that that's just, that's me being optimistic. I think there is a version that is okay. All right. And the, here's how the, it happens. The C, the C hat stands for the grade. It, it, it is okay. It's so just cruel. okay. All right. Here's, here's how this turns out. Okay. You have Foles as the quarterback. It's a given. I, I am off the Trubisky train and I will never get back on. Foles is the quarterback. 
you you live out of 12 personnel or you live out of 21 personnel with Montgomery and Cohen when Montgomery comes back, which we can talk about that in a second because the, <laughs> the guy they traded a draft pick for is hurt. So you have Komet and Graham and Miller and Robinson. That's just your base kind of pass catching group. You live in the RPO world. You live over the middle of the field with those tight ends in the same way that Philly did when Foles was good. And Montgomery gets a lot better in year two when he gets back. He has a groin injury. It's two to four weeks as of right now. When he gets back, he looks better. The offensive line takes a step forward because I think that last year when they switched Daniels and Whitehair and Daniels just got to play and he didn't have to worry about everything that comes along playing center, there were some good things. I think when they play really downhill on the left side and they come with a lot of wham blocks back behind it, power plays to the left, yep. where there's a lot of just double teams that scheme aggressiveness into the left side, those guys can be okay. And I think if they kind of lean on that, Montgomery seems to like those kinds of plays. I think he'll be more decisive in year two. I think there is a version of this offense that is like the 18th best offense in the NFL, but I think it happens once every like 12 times. Yeah, but honestly, that's a great point is matching – I mean, it just goes back to our original point, but matching their scheme to their personnel, they are a big time misdirection, kind of tricky a little bit like Andy Reid likes to do. It's more about misdirection and angles than real power football. Yeah, at times they do it. But like you said, it matches what Montgomery and that old line like to do, because like I said, they have no guys with juice. So if you're doing this misdirection stuff, what what you take advantage of that is if you have a burner that all of a sudden that linebacker's a step slow and they're hitting that crease and taking it 25 yards and the safety has to make a tackle. So if they can match with the guys who they have, yes, I, I'm, I'm with you. I can see that 18th best offense if they could just stop trying to square peg round hole it. If they are the 18th best offense, they're going to need an incredible defense to be a player in the NFC North and the NFC at large. So if you look at the at the defense last year, they fell from first to eighth in DVOA. A mil- <laughs> I, it's shocking that happened. I didn't talk about it the entire summer before it <laughs> happened. And every single analyst associated with the NFL didn't predict that that sort of backslide was going to happen. They did because it was so clear when you think about the turnovers, everything else. Do you think with bringing in Robert Quinn, you know, Jalen Johnson is not practicing with the first team right now at corner, but I think the best version of that defense has him in there with Buster Screen and Kyle Fuller. I feel like, you know, Tayshawn Gibson and Deion Bush are rotating at safety. That probably the amalgam of those two could be fine next to Eddie Jackson. Do you think they're just based on the personnel that they could still be one of the three or four best defenses in the NFL? Or do you think there is something inherent about the downgrade from Vic Fangio to Chuck Pagano that's still going to hold this team back a little bit and still depress the turnovers in a way they weren't when Fangio was calling plays? Yeah, I think there that it, that is the drop off going to uh, uh, Pagano uh, from Fangio, but I, I still think this is a top six defense. I really do. I, think I so just too. think I think they just have some dudes, and I think on defense that is more than anything, more than any other uh, grouping. As long as you have dudes, you're going to raise your bar to where it's at least going to be an above average defense, just because they have too much talent to not. So I think I think they're still going to be a good defense. I just think they have too many good players to not be a good defense. Here's my thing, though. I think that they can be a good defense without being a world-beating, transformative yeah. defense like they were. And if the offense doesn't get a lot better and you are the fifth or sixth best defense in the league, that makes you a forgettable team. Yes. And that's my concern is they have so much talent. But it just seemed like the defensive backs especially just didn't play 
with the same energy, the same speed, the same urgency with Pagano as they did with Fangio. Like Eddie Jackson's just not flying around making plays. They just felt like a different defense last year, even if the talent is still there. And when your ceiling is three or four instead of number one with a bullet, and there are so many questions about the offense, I just don't know where this team is going. No, that that's a great point. We we talked about it. We laughed about it, uh, saying, "Oh, what is a well coached defense? What exactly does that mean?" And seeing a Fangio defense, you can see what a well coached defense is because a well coached defense is knowing what your weaknesses are. Right? We we talked about this before, but it's it's knowing what the de- the weaknesses are. And if you don't know what your weaknesses are, if you ever watch the Seahawks defense, how fast those linebackers are carrying over routes and how fast they're filling curl flats and knowing, you know, snag snag combinations, how they can pass everything off. They know the weakness of their defense because they're running the same freaking defense every step. So with the Fangio defense, uh, you know, he's running two high quarters and everyone knows where they're at. They know what, what the offenses are going to attack. And that's all from game prep and coaching their butts off and everybody being on the same page. So what you're saying with any hesitation that, man, maybe guys aren't flying around as they should be, it's probably because they're thinking. And it's probably because they're like, wait, what What was a check if we if they went to one by three? Uh, oh, shoot, if they're in the gun on second down, I got to remember something. So maybe it can be overcoaching or it can be undercoaching. And I, unless you're in the building, you really don't know. But there was a mental speed difference. I, and I completely agree with that. I think there's a passiveness. You know, Shield said, wrote Passing in his Bears nerd word. guide that they played more cover three. It was their most consistent coverage. They were doing it a lot. I think it's a passive way to play defense. There was a ton more mixed coverages under Fangio. They're doing stuff where they're the aggressor. And it just didn't seem like that was happening last year. And maybe you can get a little bit of that juice back, bringing Robert Quinn in, who I want to talk about in a second, pairing him with Mac. You lose Eddie Goldman, who opted out. But I think Robertson Harris plus Akeem Hicks being back healthy, you're going to have a lot of just real talent up front. You can see it happening. But I just don't think on a structural level, they were as aggressive or urgent last year under Pagano, and I think you could see it. And I don't know if that's going to change. And I'm with you because until we see it in action, you never, you don't know. Is it just oh, that was the first year adjustment, and now it's year two, they're going to take off, or no, or is this just what it is? And that's if I'm betting, I think that's just what it is. I, I, I really do, and I, it's I, I want to say this is a top six defense, but now every now as we're talking, I'm like. Oh, you're tapering me off now. <laughs> I think they could be a top six defense. I really do. I just think they have to be better than that for this team yeah. to be even yes. almost close to a contender. All it right, I want to have two, two. Wanna two very quick player-specific conversations. This is a weird observation I was making while watching Robert Quinn. Okay. I think typically when we talk about 3-4, four, 4-3 four, in, in the current NFL, it just doesn't matter. It's just a stupid, outdated way to think about it. But when I watch Robert Quinn... He looks like a weirdly different player in a three-point stance. Do you think that's real? Do you think there are some guys that just are more explosive when they play with their hand on the ground? Because I think he is. I, I absolutely think so, especially longer guys. Yeah, and that's make, exactly what he is. It makes them stay low. So they're he, using... He's curled into this like like cat-like position in his three-point stance. And when he's standing up, he just doesn't have that coil. Yep. Yep, and I think that's a great observation, and I, I do think that's why the three-point stance is, is what it is and why it's stuck around football forever is because it has to, it makes those low guys stay low. That's where the natural guys, the guys that are built maybe not as long, have an advantage where they can just go, okay, I can be in a two-point and I can attack because I have that maybe a little shorter arms and I can bench press a guy, a little boom, a little thump right into him. Melvin, right? Melvin Ingram is a great example of great that. Great example. Great, great example. Even, you know, I, I, I'm kind of going to... Joey Bosa isn't the longest guy. He's long, 
but like a Quinn is like long. And yes. so like a guy like Bosa, I think Quinn has is all levers. Bet. It's his number one yes. advantage. Yes, exactly. And so I think it's, it's, he probably hates it being in a three point stance as like, you know, I, I'm sure he hates being in it. That's probably why he it's fights like being a tall it, guy or, trying to tie your shoes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He probably doesn't even have to bend over to tie his shoes. <laughs> so, it, but yeah, but he's probably one of, one of those guys that it's like, Oh, I hate doing this. But if you convince him on film, like, Hey, if you do it, it's going to help you like, but yeah, you're using your natural, adva- natural advantage of his length. Like what's make, let's get the most out of it. If you're in a three point stance. I just hope they don't have him standing up all the time because in this yeah. defense, you could see where they're, well, maybe he'll drop. Don't do that. Just, Please I don't, don't care if they know he's coming. Just put him in the stance and let him explode because he's so much better that way. The other guy I wanted to ask you about before we move on, you put in the notes that you did not understand the Ted Ginn signing. Why? They absolutely need to top off the defense guy with Gabriel gone. I don't think it's a great signing or anything, <laughs> but I absolutely understand the logic behind it. Uh, I, I just don't. I, I just, Ginn is, they got the most out of Ginn in New Orleans and, you know, I just Carolina want him to okay run fast him. in a straight line all the time. But, but that's the thing is he's not the greatest ball tracker. So if you're getting a guy that's throwing in windy soldier field, who's throwing ducks, also this guy who can't, whose catching radius is the size of his shoulders. You know, that's a scary match. It's just what we were talking about with Detroit. They did a really good job of pairing their receivers with Stafford. And he's a guy that they're extended. Ginn's a guy whose catching range is as wide as his shoulders. So also, let he's me be, be clear about this. I don't expect him to catch the ball or have them throw <laughs> the ball to him. This is just about him running very fast and creating space. Yeah, it's just just the post route. As long as there's a post route on the concept, we are good. He's essentially just running wind sprints the entire game. I don't think the ball <laughs> should go his way, but sometimes you need to create space for other people. All right. The old Troy Williamson. That's exactly right. And that's sometimes that's okay. All right. And we'll be back after this quick break. Let's move on to the Green Bay Packers, who are a fascinating team coming into this season. Obviously, they're a 13-3 team last year. They go to the NFC Championship game, and I think there are a few different ways to look at that season. You can say, we're on the precipice. We need a couple things to kind of take us over the edge, or we really need to kind of retool this entire approach. We're not the team we thought. I remember that I read the book that Michael Holly wrote about the way the Patriots were built called War Room. And after the Patriots won the Super Bowl in 2001, Belichick and Papioli were essentially not under any you know misconceptions that this was a good football team. They needed to tear it down, and they understood that. So the Packers didn't do either one of those things. They yeah. didn't retool, and they didn't say, these are the things we need to put us over the top. They did it halfway in both, and I just think it's left them in a really precarious spot. And I think the, one of the ways I want to talk to you about football, one of the ways I'm excited, one of the reasons I'm excited about this show is we want to talk about the why of certain moves, why they happen, how things happen. So rather than just kind of shitting on these moves that the Packers made this <laughs> offseason, if you were Brian Gunkus and you're Matt LaFleur and you're taking this approach, what do you think is the reasoning behind them not going to get any receivers, bulking up this offense, and seemingly committing to this run-first approach? Honestly, I have no idea damn it Nate. This, i need you to help me here <laughs> because it is i know i know i should be playing my foot and going but i think they're buying a little bit too much into fool's gold a little bit i think their defense is more exposable than it's been let on uh, i think dvoa dvoa I, i'm not positive off the top of my head what their ranking was uh they're 15th nights against the pass yeah yes and i mean uh the one note i had on this is this is, I think, this is just a great encapsulation of how they're buying into fool's gold a little too much. Is 
in the NFC Championship game, they run their spinner package, which is where Zadarius Smith is moving around on third down or passing downs. And, you know, people love it because it creates a lot of pressures and stuff. But what San Fran did was use them. They used that own aggressiveness against them. And they ran those trap mm-hmm. plays that we've seen a hundred yep. times. They ran the trap play for a touchdown, but then they hit another one for about 12 yards on like a third and four. And I think that's just a great, like great little filter of what, I mean, when they're chasing fool's gold, because that whole year, that package has been working for them, but now it got exposed and they're still bet. I bet you when they come out next year, they're going to be still in that spinner package. So I think they're just like, Hey, we went, we, we did, we rocked the world last year. Why change up what we get? But we also have to be smart and plan for the future a little bit. So I think they're talking out both sides of their mouth. And it's so hard for us to also without being in those, those head honcho meetings is that by design or is them just going, it was a half measures. I mean, uh, Breaking Bad was it no no half measures Walter, that's what they're doing. They're going half measures, and I think in both aspects, it might be okay for them this year because the NFC North is wide open. So maybe I can see that is that maybe they're betting. Yeah, we got lucky, and but we can win the division this year still with what we have. I I don't know. I I I I can argue both ways here and argue both ways of which one I would go for, but I think they try to do both things and they end up going half ass in both ways. So here's my read on the situation. And, and I don't know this for a fact. And this is just based on some conversations I've had over the last year and just a feeling that I have. The way they've built this, with drafting AJ Dillon in the second round, drafting, I can't pronounce his name, but the fullback kind of H-back they drafted in the third round, yeah. Josiah Degura. Uh, and then they have a tight or a, a fullback, John Lovett, that they brought in because they lost Vitaly. I mean, this is a big team that's going to plan on playing big and they're going to run the ball a lot. I don't think it's a sign that they've lost faith in Rodgers. I think it's a sign that they want to take the ball away from him. Gotcha. Because this offense, and you've been around this offense. You were in Atlanta when Kyle Shanahan was there. You're very familiar with it. It's a quarterback-independent offense. You can just plug a guy in there. All you want is somebody who's going to do the right things when you ask them to. You don't want somebody who's going to step outside of the system and kind of do their own thing. And I think there were a lot of moments last year where they were probably frustrated with Rodgers' lack of willingness to kind of fit into the box they wanted him to be in. And by taking the ball out of his hands a little bit, running the ball a little bit more, having those passing situations be a little bit more structured and few and far between, I think you're putting, forcing him into the offense in a way that you can't when you're sitting back to throwing the ball 65% of the time. I, I completely agree with that. I, I, I think it's it's like viewing like a guy like Vince Carter, who's a twenty point scorer, and then now in the fe- next phase of his career, he was a sixth, seventh man, yep. and that's what that's what he has to understand that hey, okay, I don't have to be Superman. Maybe okay, some games I'm going to have to score twenty eight points, you know, like as like a scorer, but th- not every game I'm going to have to do that. I don't have to put the entire team on my back like I used to and change every single play and adjust and check and audible and do my own little mini Peyton Manning impression. I think that's what they're trying to win them over and go like, hey, you don't need to do that. And I think sometimes it did work for him, but I, it, Aaron's a proud guy. So I think it's probably hard for him to go from, I'm, a, I'm controlling every single aspect of this to now going like, oh, okay, I, don't, I only have to make simple one high, two high checks. I don't have to adjust every single route and hot route everything and like, you know, act like I'm a Madden quarterback. So I think it's a guy that if, if we're not in those rooms, so we don't know, but if he's understanding of that, 
it's going to be great. It really is. I, I think if you I, trust I have some that, questions whether he is understanding of that. I know. That's why I'm it's... not sure he loves this approach, but I can understand I why Green Bay is doing it. Yes. My question about this is, all right, let's say we want to go more run heavy. That's how you're going to construct the offense. You want to be more like the Niners. All right, let's ask how many pieces of this offense actually lend to that. Offensive line, absolutely. Offensive line is a really good unit. Even losing Balaga, bringing in Ricky Wagner, I think it's going to be fine. Yep. Uh, Elson Jenkins was awesome as a rookie last year. I think that there's a chance Lane Taylor wins that right uh, guard job after Jenkins stole his last year. I think that's a really good five. You know, Bakhtiari is arguably the best left tackle in the league. I think he was much more aggressive last year as a run blocker. The scheme yeah. kind of unlocked that with him. Corey Lindsay, super underrated. Just a guy yep. who gets the job done. He's been around forever. I was in the locker room last year in the playoffs. I, I, I've known Corey for a while. I did a story about the Packers offensive line years ago. And I went up to him. I was like, how you doing? He goes, I'm still here, man. That's like for him, that's fine. Like the fact that he's still hanging on, he just is shocked by it. Which keep on keeping on. It's when you see him, when you like stand next to him and realize that he's a really good NFL player, that mindset does not shock you. That's so funny. offensive line wise, I think they can do it. My question, and I think the running backs are good. You know, I don't know yes. if Dylan's going to yep. hit the ground right away, but I think Jones is a really good player. Yep. My issue is where are the gimmies going to come outside of just the running back straight downhill runs? Because if you want to be San Francisco and you want to be this multiple running game and everything else, you don't have Debo Samuel to rip these gains off for you. You don't have all the motions and everything else. You don't have the layups in the run game that are going to create explosive plays for you by virtue of design because you don't have the players to do it. This is a team that could desperately use somebody like Curtis Samuel, just a little gadget guy, and they didn't go out and get one of those. So I just don't understand what the offense is going to look like. It's going to fall in this weird middle ground to me that I don't, I don't see it helping anybody. Yeah, I, and I actually, it's funny because they're not just a strict outside zone team. I think it was against the Cowboys. They ran duo a good amount of times, and that actually surprised me as a guy like thinking that just going to be a power run. Yes, a power run duo, yeah, yeah. duos power without the polar. So, but it is um, you can match it up with uh, with your zone looks a lot. And actually, the team that runs zone and duo really well is the Rams. So actually, maybe it's the Rams offense that you look for is more as what they're trying to do. I don't think it's going to be that no huddle and everything, but I think concept wise that they're going to try and go about it with the play actions, with the over routes and everything of that of that nature. But also you think of the run game. Aaron Jones is a hell of a player. I think they also that's I actually didn't understand to A.J. Dillon. But then Aaron Jones is not a great pass protector. He looks like he has a lot of busts every game, two to three busts a game. And that is a coach's nightmare. So I think that's also why they went with the AJ Dillon pick is because they also they want hey we can run duo a little bit all right what's what's bang it up there they got Ricky Wagner who's a Wisconsin guy so of course I'm going to be biased but he he has pedi- I mean but he has pedigree I mean he was the highest paid he's right fine. tackle yeah he's fine and yeah. he, he's fine he's an he's NFL player fine, he's a fine starter at right tackle but his type of play is more for a power conducive to a power scheme. And so I think maybe some of this is more of a build from going away from zone to more of a, a duo or more of a, a power-based scheme or pin-pull scheme. And I think they're just kind of slowly transitioning to that maybe a, more of a 21 personnel Rams offense. I don't need them to go out and get the best receiver. They, no. they don't need Emmanuel Sanders. I know that he was in the run. They were considering him. That, that's great. Emmanuel Sanders is a really nice player. I, I didn't need them to spend big or a first-round pick on a receiver, for example. 
but I just don't understand what their offense looks like in the pass yeah. catchers because they're all homogenous. Like Devontae yep. Adams is a really good player, but Alan Lazard is not a change of direction, dynamic sort of player. Neither is Equimania St. Brown. Neither is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. There are just not enough different kinds of playmakers in this offense. So even yeah. if you didn't want to go out and really spend on somebody, either in the draft or free agency, I just feel like you need one or two more guys that can do something with the ball in their hands. And maybe that's Aaron Jones. Maybe we see more two back sets where he's their playmaker type but unless yeah. that's going to happen i just have a lot of questions about how this team is going to find easy gains i i'm, I'm with you because uh, yeah especially with the receiver core and the more and more you look at it it's like they're all i mean you just nailed it on the head they're all the same type and mercedes lewis as great as he is in the run game and blocking he's mr he's just gonna be your five yard catch check down guy it's it's they have all these guys that are uh, pass control guys they're like they're like they're not the explosive splitters and yeah I, I'm completely I'm just long way of saying I completely agree with you <laughs> on defense you know we talked about the spinner package a little bit I think that their their pass rush is great it's going to be great Zadarius Smith is one of the best free agent signings in a really long time yep. he's one of the best defensive players in football full stop it, what he can do for you is incredible it's always fun when you talk to players about which types of guys they do and don't like going against. And the first time I talked to Bar uh, Bakhtiari about Zadarius Smith, he, he told me, he relayed a story from training camp where he's saying that the first time I went against him, I was like, who is this guy? Because he's just so, he's such a pain in the ass to play against. The offensive linemen hate playing against guys that are super powerful. Guys that are just going to try to beat the shit out of them play after play. And that's exactly what he is. And when you can you take that, combine it with Kenny Clark, you get Preston Smith, who's more of a pure pass rusher, it works. It totally it works. I think the secondary is fine. This is a team that played a ton of dime last year. Number one in the league in percentage of snaps with six or more defensive backs. That's almost a necessity considering their lack of depth at linebacker. We're going to have Christian Kirksey in there that came over from Cleveland. And Kamal Martin apparently is starting next to him in their base packages. And I okay. just think that anybody different from what they had last year is going to be an upgrade. I think the defense is going to be good, not great. And I just have no idea what the offense is going to look like. It's a weird team. It really is. It, it really is. It's a team that's transitioning in two different directions at the same exact time. <laughs> I, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think they're, the secondary is going to be good. I thought Alexander was really good last year. We'll see what happens with Savage in year two. Kevin King yeah. was pretty good. I just I think they're going to be okay, but I just don't yeah. think the defense is going to be excellent. And I have so many questions about the offense. All they're right, they're going to have the, they're going to have their games where they get gashed, and it's going to be one of those where everyone goes, oh, "I didn't expect that." And then also in the next two <laughs> weeks, they look great. It, they're they're going to just have those matchups. They're they're going to get their like they're just going to get beat in by certain matchups. So they're not a matchup uh, proof defense. All right, let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings, last team in this division, a team that has had a lot of turnover in the last few months. And I feel like it's strange because they're not a rebuilding team because you have so, so many of the same pieces, but they're kind of retooling on the fly. And I think they did a pretty good job of that. But when I think about the Vikings, my number one question about them, as you kind of try to build a case for whether why they can win the division, why they can be pretty good, in your mind, is there any reason based on what happened this offseason, that the 2020 Vikings would be better than the 2019 Vikings? I think their offense is going to take another leap, to be honest. Really? I do. Okay. I, I, Walk I, me I, through betting, this, because uh, that is surprising to me. I am betting on the Minnesota Vikings offense improving. So 
I just think their offensive line is going to improve. I really think they should switch their tackles. Uh, but O'Neal's never played on the left side. That's a hard transition for, to do in the pros, much less, you know, in college. Um, I think their tight ends are nice. I love I, Kubiak. It really is. Um, the short answer is Kubiak. There, long there answer it is. is. We could do this. Yeah. Yes. Long answer is all the stuff I'm about to say. Um, but I, I think their center, Bradbury, I think he came on at the end of the year. I think he had some ups and downs in the middle of the year. But I think the last few weeks, especially in the playoffs against the Saints, he had a great game against a really good defense. Um, I think they're overall that I think that having a good center sh- helps shore up the entire offense. It just, it just makes, it makes third downs better. It just makes every, especially if you get to go against more complicated defenses, it just puts everyone in the same, on the same page on every single play. And I think that is just a huge thing. I'm a huge fan of Justin Jefferson. I compared him to Robert Woods coming out. I think he, uh, Diggs is going to be a more dynamic talent, but I do think Justin Jefferson is almost a better fit for what they do because he is a plus plus blocker day one. Which is what you know Zimmer. That's probably why he drafted him because he was probably just like, oh, he boxes his ass off. Okay, let's get this guy. You know, he probably didn't even watch any of his target tape. You know, so I think that is just a great fit for what they try to do. And I think Cousins is like, I think he's just going to keep being Cousins. He's going to have his games where he doesn't do much, but he's going to have his games where he's going to be explosive and throw these bombs. And I just, I really like uh, what they have with Irv Smith too. I think with what Kubiak does with leaks, leak routes, and all the nakeds that they'll do, he's going to be a really dynamic and get some explosive plays from the tight end position, which is if you're getting explosives from your tight ends, that's you're ahead of other offenses because it's just, that is a weird way to get them and you can get them pretty easily if you do it right. So I really think that offense did ascend. I'm a big fan of Alexander Madison along with Cook. Um, Cook's got to stay healthy, uh, of course, because that's going to be their breadwinner. I mean, he's going to be 25 touches. I think their screen game was great. And I think all that stuff's going to just keep getting better with Kubiak in charge. I want to talk about the screen game, and I want to talk about a couple other things. It's a very good point, and I think that <laughs> the point about the offensive line is, is well made. We'll see what happens with the personnel there. Right now, Dakota Dozier is supposed to start at guard. I think that as things kind of shake out there, there's a chance that Cleveland eventually gets on the field because it's pr- he's more talented than the guys they have. The best five probably includes him in some form. So I have two questions. If, if we can see that the offensive line is probably going to be better, Smith is going to be a bigger player in year two. Two elements of their offense that I think are going to kind of come back to earth. This is a team that loved taking the top off the defense last year. It's a team that lived on deep shots in their passing game. Without Diggs, I think that element is depressed in a huge way. Because even though I love Adam Thielen, he is not the same sort of deep threat that Diggs is. And there's no clear deep threat on that offense that's going to be able to stretch the field like they did last season. The other part of that is, I think that Stefanski had a huge hand in the screen game. With him gone now, I don't know if their screen game is going to be as dynamic and as complex and as diverse as it was with him there. Cousins was number one in the league on EPA on screens and in yards gained on screens. It was a huge part of their offense. So if you take away the explosive plays with the layups with the screens and you take away the shots down the field with digs, I just think it's a much less explosive, dynamic, dangerous offense. I think they could be solid and efficient with more Smith, with Kubiak, everything else. But I just don't know if they're going to scare you the same way they did. Last. I think that's a, that, that's a good point. I, and actually, yeah, I actually, the screen point's a great point too, because I know in Kubiak's pass offense, 
that wasn't a huge component. Like they would run screens, but it wasn't. He had a huge hand in the screen game. Is that, my understanding. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I can see that now that actually you're bringing that up because it went from. I mean, they're running it like six times a game screens yep. as it's opposed a huge to huge part of their offense last year. Yes, and it was. I mean, big chunks. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm with you on that. And Justin Jefferson, he's not going to be a take-the-top-off guy. He is a Robert Woods type. Like, that is what he is. He Which is an I intermediate. Love, but I love, too. You the know, ceiling I love is Robert defined Woods, on so. those guys. Yes, yes. But like you said, there's a ceiling. Literally, there's a ceiling of how far deep down he can be a threat. So, I mean, that's a great point. They got Tajay Sharp, who I like, but he's a he's a situational guy. He's a really a number four as opposed to a number three. And... Yeah, I mean, that is a great point that I haven't even thought of, but I, I'm still betting on Kubiak, and I'm still betting on that great. overall efficiency is going to make up for the lack of explosives. I think that is it's going to be an overall better offense, but a less explosive offense. I just think if you look at it, I mean, Cousins was in the top five in completion percentage over expectation. He was number three in the league on EPA in deep passes after Mahomes and Russell Wilson. Yeah. I just don't know if that continues. That doesn't continue, and they insist on running the ball the way they have then I think that the offense just isn't going to be there. And there have been a lot of things written about how Kubiak's been open to throwing it and you know Stefanski likes running it more and maybe they're going to open it up and not run the ball on early downs as much. People saying that I don't think tend to comprehend that the reason they ran the ball a lot on early downs had nothing to do with Kevin Stefanski. Has to deal with uh, the guy, the guy with the funky headset and the glasses. Yes, the guy who is in charge is the one that wants that to happen. Do you think it's an accident that the Vikings run the ball a ton and have ever since he got there? This is an edict that comes down from the head coach, no matter who's calling plays. Yeah, you think North Turner was running twenty-two personnel on every snap, like just, yeah, <laughs> just cause. Yeah, the guy who loves chucking it is that Norv is not yeah. doing that by his own volition. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah he loved that twenty two personnel with the worst line in the league. I'm sure he just loved doing that every snap. <laughs> I, I just don't. I, I think that if they continue to do that without the explosive plays to go along with it, we could see a much more mediocre offense than they were last year. Okay, but I think they could still be okay. I have a ton of faith in Kubiak. I think he's great at what he does. And one of the reasons I think this team is going to be okay is a huge trade that went down earlier this week. The Vikings sent. I believe a second round pick and a conditional pick that could be as much as a third rounder, but is currently a fifth rounder to Jacksonville for Yannick Ngakwe. And I want to talk about this on a couple different levels. The first is just more of a big picture discussion about the Vikings in general. You know, when they came into this offseason, all the salary they had to shed, dealing digs and getting the draft capital back for it. It's a mini rebuild. You know, they had to do a ton of retooling. And I think they've done a really good job of keeping the spirit of their roster and the spirit of their plan while retooling it on the fly a little bit. And I think that this trade makes a ton of sense. It puts them in a great position, fills a huge need, and is completely in line with the overall philosophy and trajectory that they followed this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and what was nice, even before the trade, they had a stud at every level. You know, Daniil Hunter, Mm -hmm. they have Kendricks, Anthony Barr is a nice player, Harrison Smith. You know, and of course, we're going to talk about the corners and like we know that's going to be there's a complete overhaul. But getting a guy like this for not too bad of a price, they're getting a legit number two guy. I think this uh, Yannick is a good number two 
edge player. Um, I think it's just a, it's a great fit. I think it was a good value, great fit. I mean, it may, like you said, it makes sense for what they're doing. They're always going to have that Zimmer identity and he's going to max out whoever he has. And they, that's the thing we're re the retooling. Like you said, it's almost a little bit reloading. They're just maybe figuring out as opposed to having Xavier Rhodes out there. Okay. So we got to figure out who our new corners are for the next few years. Okay. But we still have some nice, nice pieces. And now they're just figuring out what are the complementary pieces. So maybe those three studs that they have for sure starting for them already. When you have all the turnover they have in the secondary, usually that's kind of a cause for concern, right? I mean, especially with the defense that was really good. You're kind of sitting there like, oh man, what are they going to look like? That's a lot of moving pieces, communication issues. But when you look at what they were last year, I think it's hard for them to be worse. I mean, even bringing in two rookies like they are, and my understanding right now of the way that things have kind of shaken out in camp is that Cam Dantzler has actually kind of outplayed Jeff Gladney. Now, I was told that right now, Dantzler and Holton Hill are working as the outside corners in nickel, and Mike Hughes is bumping inside. So it's kind of like a Chris Harris thing where he's a starting corner, but he's their nickel corner too. So that group, you know, that again, youth and experience, but it's hard to be worse than the group they had last year with Rhodes and Trey Wayne's out there and just inconsistency. So you have a young corner, a young cornerback group, but now you have a better pass rush. So it's all can work in concert. I have a ton of faith in their ability to make this work because I think I like Ngakwe a little bit more than you do. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm tough. I I want my I, I my can see guys. your hesitance about this. I know I because I what I did I did what everybody else did went through every, you know I saw some sack highlight reels and pressure highlight reels and you know I'm not gonna like try and like one up it but it was like I, I wanted to just watch some games to just see how he was and right off the bat it is crazy how, I mean he knows when his bread is buttered which isn't a bad thing there are a lot of pass rushers know when he their knows bread what is he buttered. is and I like that about him yes he is like I don't make money playing the run I make money on third down, getting after after the tackle and after the quarterback. And it's funny, the, uh, the one game, it was against the Titans, that just stood out to me is Luan like, b- bumped his shoulder or something and it was out for a play. And that next play, he knew he was going against the backup left tackle. His ears were pinned back and he's come untouched, strip sack. And he, he knows what he is. And so like you said, it's like, that's not a bad thing. But this is, he's going to get with some great coaching with Zimmer and Andre Patterson and also being maybe in a more competitive environment. Mm-hmm. Not that, you know, the Jaguars had some good pieces, but more of a, a winning environment. When maybe they were good, he was great. That exactly. His best season was in 2017 when they were really rolling. He gave a ton of energy to that defense. He's a turnover creator. It's always yep. funny when football people like you point out that a defensive end who's a really good pass rusher isn't good against the run. It's such a football nerd, holier-than-thou stance. And it also it really is. Complaining about a really good pass rusher's inability to defend the run is like buying a Lamborghini and being pissed off about the safety rating. Go get a Volkswagen <laughs> if you want some airbags. I want somebody that's going to fly around, and that's exactly what he is. Super it's bendy, like explosive. About, yeah, it's complaining about Saquon with pass protection. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, it's like that, get, get out of here with this. So who, who I, cares? <laughs> and I think that the important consideration here when you're thinking about the defense, which has been a top 10 unit or a borderline top 10 unit pretty much every year that Zimmer has been there, is that even though there's a lot of stuff moving around in the periphery, there are stabilizing factors throughout the defense. One is Zimmer, number one. I mean, there are a few defensive head coaches in my mind who have more of an imprint on their team yes. right now than Mike Zimmer does. And that's a good thing. all over it. 
which yep. is a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing because you know guys that they step away, they're not as involved, they're not as much on the cutting edge schematically. I think with him, it's a good thing. And yep. also at every level, like you said, there are stabilizing players. I think Anthony Harris is back. He's coming off his best season as maybe one of the best center fielders in the entire league. Harrison Smith is still there. Eric Kendricks. I mean, I mean, one of the best linebackers in the league last year in pass coverage. He was unbelievable. Phenomenal Those guys are also very good blitzers. Mike Zimmer is, in my opinion, the most effective blitz caller in the league. You know, They don't do it as much as other teams. It's not as much of a staple. But if you look at their efficiency on blitzes, it's right up there all the time because he knows how to do it. So when you think about the new elements, the old elements, when you mix all that stuff together, I just have faith that's going to work out. I do too. And and that's a great point with their blitz package too. Now they they can use it even more efficiently if they want mm-hmm. to because now they can generate a true pass rush with two legit dudes. And that, I, I know I don't want to knock, knock Yannick too bad. I mean, I am pretty harsh on him, but he is a real legit good number two starter, like borderline Pro Bowl. Like he is that tier. That is huge. And you have two of those guys. Not many teams have two legit guys. They have one really good guy and one guy that we're like, oh, he's a nice complimentary piece like these are two legit pro bowl pass rushers they have and with zimmer and with his blitz packages i mean his third down blitz packages the cowboys game is still my favorite one to watch just because of the chess match between Dak and travis frederick and versus zimmer's defense but they have all that they have all these tools that they can use now they can either go no we can just rush four or three or let's bring some of zimmer's blitz packages that he changes every week on the game plan and maybe some of those weeks they're like man these guys are really good at protecting let's not blitz them let's just get a a normal four-man pass rush and it takes away chip ability from opposing teams too yeah it, you, you can't, you you can't focus. One. You can't slide. You can't, can't. put a, a ton of attention. And it, I think they'll probably play on one side. And I mean, uh, Hunter is just pro- essentially a left defensive end. That's where he plays because yeah. Griffin was always on the right. They don't mix much. And I think Ngakwe's best coming off the blind side is because he's such exactly. He's so good at causing fumbles. I mean, he's so good at creating just loose balls. I mean, that's something that you can be good at. It. There are guys that have a knack for it, and I really yeah. do think that he does. So, where do you just on a broader level? In terms of defensive minds in the league, you know, some guys have aged out, like the Dick LeBeau kind of class is done. Dean Pease just retired, who I think you love and I think is so love. super underrated. In terms of just defensive structure, creativity, making life hard on the offense, where do you think Zimmer kind of ranks right now? Oh, he's top tier. I mean, top three or four. I I, I can't maybe name a, another one. Pittsburgh did a really Fangio. nice job last year. Fangio. I, like I said, Pittsburgh did a nice job. Of course, New England uh, with Belichick. But with what Zimmer does is just is so unique every week. He knows how teams protect. So he knows how to blitz the back. He knows how to make you slide too many guys and leave a free runner. That's the thing. It is organized chaos and he knows when to use it. And there's times when he knows you're going to keep seven in, maybe like a, you know, I call it seven in, but really it's chip and they get out and they, you know, it's a seven man protection, but the guys do get out is that he knows that you can waste it. So he's going to show blitz and then just drop drop seven. Yeah. So he's making you waste guys. So he he is so advanced in that level. Like he is top three guy. I mean, I just I'm trying to rack my brain, but really that that's really it. I mean, Gus Bradley did a good job as well. That's another one who does a good job with his blitz packages. Um, but really, Zimmer is the guy to look at this stuff because it's so fun week to week. It's not just the same Bill Belichick who runs man cover zero, fake cover zero, getting out into the hots. Zimmer is changing up what he brings because he knows what the protections are every week. Not that Belichick doesn't, but it's a different different flavor. 
it's kind of the conversation we had about the Bears, where when they had, with Fangio was there, they were the aggressor, and with Pagano there, it's a little bit more passive. With Zimmer, it's a defense that dictates the action in ways that others don't. You, a lot of the time, when you're an offensive coach, when you're an offense, when you're a quarterback too, you know that you're one step ahead because you know what's coming. You're not second guessing things. You're not seeing things out of the corner of your eye. But what they've always done with those mug looks where the linebackers walk up, with Harrison Smith moving all over the place, because those guys have so much fluency in the system and they've been there for so long, they can be frantic before the snap and know where they're going. So it's almost like I think the best offenses in the league, like San Francisco, Baltimore, the best designed, they make you see ghosts. They make you see things that aren't there. And I think that's what Zimmer does. As a defensive coach, he makes you see things that aren't there. And I think that's why his teams are always playing half a step ahead. And when you consider the players and the guys they've brought in, everything else, I think it's going to be a new look defense in some ways. But I think we're going to recognize it in the most important ways. Absolutely. Completely agree. And what's going to be really fun, too, is like some of those packages, you're going to get Daniil and Yannick on the same side. And they're going to be running See, I don't know if they're going to do a ton of that because with the defensive ends, they're not that creative. I'd be surprised. I mean, just as far as games-wise, they're going to move, have like Daniil spike over. And then so now you're creating just all this extra chaos that the best games, like teams can run games and twist whatever with their D-line and linebackers and whatnot. But the best games and twists are with the best players. <laughs> it's always yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, that's why like, Ingram oh, and Bosa are, they have, to play the, have the best ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, oh, it's also the best players doing it. So, yeah, that kind of makes sense. That That's why it's the best game. So maybe and that's also it's the chicken of the egg or catch 22, whatever, whatever idiom you want to throw in there. Uh, it's it's are they going to just lean into it and just have uh, like sugar on top, you know, a cherry on top of this and have Daniil on the same side or they're just like, no, opposite sides. You two both create havoc on your own side and then we'll create other stuff in the middle. You two just do you. So it is going to be fun to see what Zimmer does because Zimmer is a guy that knows his talent. And so he's going to know, hey, I got guys. I don't, I don't need it. I, I don't need any of this extra, extra doohickeys. <laughs> All right. Here's the question, man. It's a very tough question when it comes to this division. Who do you think wins the NFC North? I'm going with the Queens. I'm going Minnesota Vikings, and they're winning it at 10 and 6. That's what I'm going with. I'm going to agree with you. Oh, I, I could have I said any team. Like All four of right, these teams could win the division. And you could say I 9 just, and 7, and you're going to be right. <laughs> I, I think I think that I think it's going to take 10 wins, and I think that the Vikings are the team I feel the best about. And it's for it's the coaching. I mean, that's I the exact reason. I just think that Kubiak and Zimmer and with the, the players they have to work with, I just trust them to figure it out. One of my favorite storylines of this entire NFL season is Kubiak coming back to the coaching ranks. It, it was the last story that I wrote for The Ringer. I, I talked to him. I talked to Stefanski, Lafleur, a couple other people just about that offense and how it's become in vogue in the league. And it's really kind of defined professional football over the last 20 years to a certain degree. You think about all the teams that run some version of it, whether it's the Niners, the Packers, the Browns now with Stefanski, the Vikings, the the Titans run a version of it because the flu yep. was there and Arthur Smith does. And I just love the Kubiaks coming back. I think he is a, an all time great offensive football mind. And Agreed. that's why I have faith in them and their ability to do it, even if it looks slightly different than a very good Vikings offense did last season, I just think they're going to find a way. They're too good, too smart, and they still have too many players to be a below-average team. And I could see every other team in this division being below-average. I completely agree. My note for this was Zimmer would be up for the challenge. And I think and he has an OC in Kubiak that he probably fully trusts. 
And so he Why can just coach you? the defense. Yep. And so he can just fully coach the defense. I think it's just going to be an awesome. I, I really do. I think they're going to be a fun team to watch because, like you said, the coaching is going to be so good. I just love watching offensive coaches problem solve in real time. Yes. And, and you can, whether it's, you know, guys over years watching the way that Andy Reid and Sean Payton and Josh McDaniels have evolved and everything else. And even like Sean McVay and the, the growing pains that he's had and watching him try to work through it. Watching Gary Kubiak try to figure this out as he comes back in is awesome. Like that, that's just the type of like football stuff I love to watch. I, I can't wait to see what him and Zimmer come up with. And I think it's a, it's an underwhelming division in terms of the heights, but I do yeah. think it's a division where week in and week out, these teams are going to be in games and that's fun. Yeah. It's the black and blue division. Let's go. Ah, God, it's just grew up with it. It's imprinted on my football brain. All right, <laughs> Nate. Thank you so much, buddy. We're going to be doing this every single Monday, which again, I, I cannot believe that that is a thing. But every Sunday night, we're going to be recording, breaking down the games. And as far as you know, programming note here, we're going to be coming to you with division previews pretty much every single day, four times a week until the season kicks off next Thursday. Tomorrow, we are going to have my very, very good friend, Bill Barnwell, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear that and for all the other shows that we've got coming to you this week. We're going to have bunch of people from the athletic we're going to have some of my friends from elsewhere a ton of great football voices thinkers minds breaking down the league as we get going and i can't wait for you guys to hear it i sincerely appreciate you tuning in hope you stick around thank you for listening to the athletic football show and uh, we'll talk to you guys later 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 this was the athletic football show